0: Don't just live life, make life boom!
1: Hi, everybody. It's Douglas Tammy DJ for another episode of the Mic Drop Club, and today I'm super stoked. I'm super happy. We've got Andrew Rolf in the house that's going to come and share some knowledge, share some useful insights in around digital transformation. He's an expert in, in his field. He has a very unique perspective on how we can successfully bring about transformation across large scale organizations. So with no further ado, Andrew, how are you doing? And Welcome to the Mic drop.
2: Douglas, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. And thank you for having me on the show. I'm, I'm as excited as you are
1: fantastic and as the viewers might not know this is our second um (laughs) attempt to get to get this show underway um we have talked a lot off air and your philosophy your approach to digital transformation is truly um inspiring and it gives hope because there's a there's a human side there's a human element to transformation that i see across um industries that fail to recognise why that's important and they waste a lot of money, millions across the whole board are wasted by not engaging the human. So can we just have a, a very quick recap in terms of, first of all, Andrew, what have been up to and um, what kind of projects
2: are you working on at the moment? So the type of projects that I work on are typically um, organisations who want to Achieve more with the people they've already got. They're looking to grow their business somehow. So there are two times when people call me. They either call me when they want to start a transformation project, but they're not quite sure how to get started. How do they get everything organized? How do they build a business case? And how do they make sure they've got the right expertise on tap? And sometimes I'm called when people have started a transformation project and maybe it's not quite going the way they wanted or they haven't got the outcomes that they were looking for. Or there's a there's a sort of glitch in the system somewhere and they'll call me to either help unblock the problem or to advise them on what they can do to to kind of move forward. The types of projects I've been working on recently usually have some kind of technology element to them. So it might be an organization recently who wanted to improve um, their sales performance. They wanted to grow their business, grow their revenue, but they didn't really have any systems to help them uh, to do that they didn't have a um, any way to understand the strength of the relationships that they had within their business. So there's an example of, of something I did recently. Um, it was great fun. Uh, the people were really super smart, super engaged. Um, and th- just to sort of add a little bit of complexity, this was a global organization. So any ideas that you came up with had to work in every every country that this 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 uh, organization was was present in.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. And when we do talk about digital transformation, we're talking about, if you textbook de- definition here is it's a process of leveraging technology and digital solutions to yeah. fundamentally change the way an organization operates, delivers value and interacts with its customers and stakeholders. So typically when you go through a digital transformation program at scale, you'll end up having a an output that's completely different to its input you're changing one state to a better that's, state um literally so that's that that can be very terrifying for an organization that is forced to transform its services sometimes technology comes in um at a time not of our choosing and companies have to transform in order to um stay competitive what's your take on that what you're seeing on in terms of how organizations approach it, that job paradigm that is digital transformation.
2: So the the point that you mentioned about creating value, I think is a really important one to just dwell on. Often um, you might be looking to just improve a part of your organization. You have a system that supports something that your company does. And you just want to kind of upgrade that system to be, you know, in line with the latest version. You know, it's got some new features, and that's fine. And that's a sort of an improvement, which is which is all good. And quite often, a company can do that with their own staff, maybe with a few external um, uh, uh, some assistance externally. But it, it doesn't necessarily change the, what their business does. It maybe m- improves it. Where I tend to get involved is when an organization wants to uh, change perhaps its business model. So maybe they want to move from a model that was based on advertising to a model that's based on subscription. Or they find that there's other areas that their clients are looking for their support with, and they could add a completely new revenue stream to, to their operation. And these require maybe new capabilities, new people, um, new technology uh, and new ways of going to market. So it can almost be thought of more like a kind of a reinvention of their business. Um, and your other point about doing it at a time that's not of the company's choosing is, is really critical because, the, as we know, the world doesn't stay still. You know, the, the things move on all the time. So we have to be ready to change because the world around us is not going to stop. And if you look at, say, um, somebody who might have been running a mini cab firm 10 years ago, and then Uber comes along, that, that has completely disrupted the way in which people order a cab pay for a cab, the experience of driving a cab. The whole business model changed with that entrant to the market, Airbnb into the hospitality sector. These things are highly disruptive. And you can't just think that because your business has been around for 100 years that you're immune to this. You've got to respond. So sometimes you're having to do this in a time frame that is not of your choosing. You're playing catch up. And that can be like you say, quite a kind of anxiety inducing situation, you know, executives might not be used to being on the back foot, not having all the answers. And they're, they're forced to, you know, to to really run at a pace that they're not comfortable with. So a lot of what I do is is helping executives to be in a position where they are to re- reassure them, to give them the confidence to to kind of move forward, but also to keep them to remind them of the urgency of the situation not to kind of rest sit on your hands not to just think that because you've got a few quick wins out there you've you've answered the problem you know to keep them to keep their feet to the fire
1: excellent excellent because as as you mentioned business models could be the catalyst change changing business models could be the catalyst yeah. for a transformation and i guess there's a strong correlation between the type of business model change, um, the more acute that changes from the as-is business processes for the organization. Um, you know, the buyer-seller type paradigm, which we've known for hundreds of thousands of years, in fact, has been changed when we've got technology from um, the industrial revolution, changed the way that we started buying and selling, and also the digital age. So um, yes. something that picked, I was picking up on this morning, in fact, in terms of business models, is the age that we're in now. There's a transformational, um, uh, a transformative business model that's emerging where people, businesses have to align themselves with allowing their customers to transform they, transform the way they think and feel about a particular experience. For example, um, yes. say CrossFit. Um, I don't know anybody that's gone to CrossFit that hasn't had a transformational experience. Not just the physicality of the exercises, the the gym, um, the gym attire that you wear, but they end up evangelizing mm. their experiences and 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 almost like that's promoting so CrossFit to everybody else. So it's a transformational business model, and so yeah. the traditional gym model, uh, would not quite fit into this new way of thinking. So I guess how are you approaching businesses that the business model is going to um really disrupt from the
2: ground up um yeah. their operations? So th- just on the, on the CrossFit thing, I don't know anyone who's been to CrossFit that hasn't come out as an evangelist. Everybody seems to love it. I don't know if there's some sort of secret part of the class where they teach you how to tell everyone else how great CrossFit is, but everybody, everybody comes out of those classes just wanting to tell everybody else. Um, exactly. And this is, you know, this is the, this is the power of, Transformation and the power of people. If people like something, they want to tell people about it. And people, you know, we're humans, and that's that's sort of part of our DNA. It's you know, it's it's just how we are. the The question you asked about um, the sort of ground up transformation, I see this happening more and more now. Early in my career. Things seem to kind of happen relative. It always feels like things seem to happen relatively slowly. Even things that were transformative, like the advent of the World Wide Web and the Internet and Wi-Fi and smartphones, these things still kind of came at us at a pace where we could digest it. Now things are coming at us so quickly that, you know, it's a sort of you just have to be ready to, perhaps proceed with less certainty. So if you think about, um, there's a, a fantastic diagram that I saw a while back where it talked about how long it took for organisations to get to 50 million users of their products. And 50 years ago, to get to 50 million PCs would have taken decades. And now to get, to, if you look at the the recent launch of um, Uh, Facebook or Meta with threads, they'd got millions of users within hours, and they'd reach that 50 million target within 24 hours. The, the, The kind of everything is contracting so, so quickly. And what this means for organizations is that they have to become comfortable with uncertainty, In the past, the sort of older command and control approaches required the people at the top of the organisation to be 100% certain about the way of the world and where their organisation fitted in it. Now, the people at the top of the organisation who are human can't know everything and they can't predict with absolute certainty how things are going to play out, even in organizations that find themselves in highly regulated businesses, in areas where the barriers to entry are extremely high. I'm thinking about maybe pharmaceuticals or um, oil and gas. You know, these are businesses that don't experience a lot of disruption, like the models I mentioned earlier with Airbnb and Uber, um, where the barriers to entry are lower. But even in those areas, there's disruption and being... The the skill of leadership now is to really convey a, a sort of comfort with discomfort. I like that comfort and
1: discomfort. Um, the, what I tend to lean on is being already ready and accepting.
2: Yes, yes. That,
1: that whole premise that we're already ready, and um, because you can't you're right you're right in saying you can't control all these variables, but one thing is clear. Now, if we are truly talking about transformation and not iteration, there yeah. is a, a fear there in terms of capabilities and being able to perform at the same level when you're doing something completely yeah. different. We've seen that in health when medical records were becoming digitized. And it's one of the biggest transformation programs where, you know, since NHS conception, everything was on paper then all of a sudden you've got yeah. skilled doctors, skilled nurses, skilled practitioners overnight feeling de-skilled because now they have to know how to use computer systems which are not natively designed to work like their home commercial-grade um computers. So that yes. whole leap into the unknown, even if it's in the same area of, say, your business, but working with a new business model shifts fundamentally your um performance levels and even even in sense of your customer base might also still yeah. be thinking or expecting you to operate in the old way of doing things so you got it is a it's a far bigger piece of work than a lot of people that work in bit parts of the transformational journey fully grasp yeah but from from speaking to you Andrew you have a very unique way of Working with the the staff, particularly communities that may not traditionally make it to the boardroom to talk about how they currently are working. So, how do you engage yes. the, the the those organize those groups into the discussion in the mm-hmm. first place?
2: So, I I'm a huge believer in active listening. One of the most important skills that a consultant has is the. The ability to listen and to synthesize all of the information that they're receiving. Often that information's been conveyed by somebody talking to you, but there are lots of other signals as well. You know, what's the environment like? How what is the brand that this organization has? How do they convey that brand? All kinds of different signals. But if we just stick to listening for a minute, Early on in my career, I was told that I had two ears and one mouth, and I should use them in that ratio, listen twice as much as you speak and what i 'm really trying to do when i 'm listening to people who i talk who i'm work for the organizations i 'm consulting for i 'm trying to understand what they 're telling me and what they will be telling me are often symptoms of a problem, so they 'll be telling me things like, oh, you know, we we seem to be, you know, we get a lot of customer complaints, or we get a lot of our products returned, or we always seem to be lagging behind our competitors. And these are all symptoms. And my, what I have to do is then really, a bit like a doctor, try and diagnose all of that to work out what's the root cause, what's really at the heart of this issue here, and what's, what's driving all of these problems. But people won't share with you all of this information just straight off the bat. If you just sit down with them and and ask them to tell you all this stuff, it's very rare they will. And that's because usually um, you're an unfamiliar face. You're you're somebody from the outside who they don't know. They don't really know perhaps why you're here. Um, And they might be just scared, about what the outcomes could be you know most people when presented with a transformation program their first thought is is my job safe am i going to be okay so my my job is to try to reassure them that i'm there to help improve the company and no matter what level of distress that organization is facing you know they they might be in a kind of a bit of a tough spot and everyone might know they're in a tough spot and your job is to try to find out all of the information that is within the heads of the people who work in that organisation to make it better. So your, your, your language has to be about improvement, about um, growth, about opportunities. And when I talk to people, I'm typically trying to ask them open questions So not things that can be answered with a yes, no. So a good example is, tell me a little bit about your job. Um, Tell me some of the things that you observe in the organization. What do you think other people think of your department or your team? Tell me some of the things that you think might improve the situation. So these are all four simple questions there the answers to those four simple questions that could be an hour of me listening to what people have to say and whenever I go to talk to any organization people always have something to say to you there's they've always got some ideas nobody comes to a meeting and says well do you know what that's the first time anyone's ever asked me that and I really don't it's as good as it can be nobody says that
1: yeah, that's, that's excellent. And I was, I was whispering there because I was trying to formulate um, something in my head. I had a conversation with um, an, an organization that's going through a big transformational piece of work. And what they are discovering, first and foremost, is a lot of the stakeholders that they're invited to have these interviews to talk about their role. A lot of them were not clear in their articulation of even mm-hmm. what they do, and um, one of them spoke to me, and he said to me, he went home after work, and his wife's friend asked him, "What does he do for a job?" And he couldn't actually mm-hmm. articulate it in a way that made any <sighs> coherent sense. So um, sometimes we, sometimes roles have titles that doesn't make it really easy. For people to um, To explain in a way That doesn't require time And I'm so happy Andrew That you mentioned It could take up to an hour Or maybe even longer So oh, how yeah. do you embrace Even the silence Because I guess Some people need that moment To really think Okay what do I do? Or what am I supposed to do? Or what was I, what so was is, I that- told I should be doing?
2: Is, oh my goodness so we're into a really kind of rich area here so often what people were hired to do if you look at their job description the thing that was on the advert is very different to what they end up doing in their in their in their day-to-day work and there are lots of ways you can reveal this so you can look at and most of us have experienced this where at some point in our working lives we thought hang on a minute I, I'm just creating a PowerPoint slide here. I'm just creating an Excel spreadsheet here. And I don't really know why I'm doing this. This this sort of feels a little bit abstract. I'm not really sure what value this is adding to the whole operation. And asking people to talk about what value they add rather than what they do is a really good way to kind of like split apart that, that challenge. So when you ask people what value they add, there's, there's two, pe- there's, they can fall into one of two camps. They can either be the people who, um, their customers perceive as adding value. So somebody who creates the product or somebody who sells the product, those are usually the sort of value creators. And they're the people who often kind of swagger around the business a little bit saying, well, look, if it wasn't for us, we wouldn't make any money around here. So they, that's their kind of purpose. But then there are a whole lot of other people whose work – and their work is very important, just as important in support of those people. So if you go to the finance team, they'll say to you, well, look, we don't make the product. We might not even really understand that much about how the product is, is made. And we don't sell the product, but we're critical to how our cash flow position is reported to how our investors are communicated with and to how our payroll is run every month. So without us, you might think that we're not important, but if we weren't here, you'd miss us. So there's, you can ask the question in that way. And to the point that you were just making about the friend trying to explain what they do this is sometimes a bit of a kind of penny drop moment when you're talking to people because they've, they sometimes, through no fault of their own, have sort of drifted away from where they really add value. They've sort of, their ship has sailed slightly off course and they're ending up in a scenario where they're busy doing, being busy at work. Lots of meetings, lots of presentations, lots of PowerPoint, lots of emails. And the real core value that they add to the business is n- just not being tapped into. And that can be quite a difficult conversation to have with people. You know, it can be quite frustrating for them, almost a little bit like lying on a therapist's couch and saying, well, hang on a minute, I've I've sort of lost my way here. So you have to be respectful to do that.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly getting the, that impression that um, to get real value from these conversations... Um, prior to going live or prior to commencing for a transformational program, it's also important. So the heavy lifting has to be done mm-hmm. in advance. These conversations are, are not to be um, skipped. Skipping this step will mean oh, be no. traps further down the line. So in terms of yeah. maximizing your skills, you talked about active listening. They say um, mm-hmm. communication's 80% um, non-verbal, isn't it, you know? Oh, yeah totally yeah so so it's so in a sense, it's the things that are not being said that can also reveal so much more in terms of how does this organization operate um what's its aspirations like um more than yeah. that your spoken word, so how do you operate in in that space where it's i guess it's the the area between the bars, you know. It's yeah the, it's yes. the, it's the so the,
2: between the notes. One a, <laughs> that's that again really good question so the the things that i'm aware of i talked about sort of assimilating information earlier and you can in, infer a lot from the environment in which the, your meetings take place you could be in a boardroom, you could be in a really scruffy meeting room. You could be sat next to somebody at the end of their desk because they're busy doing something. You could be at a meeting room offsite. All of these things give you it, it infer things about how um, important the, uh, the the conversation is, um, and how you can put people at ease to, to to sort of have that conversation. So one you know, one thing that is a favorite of mine, I don't get to do this as much as I'd like, but um one thing that I think reveals a lot about people is if if you go and have a meeting over lunch or while you're having a walk somewhere, suddenly you you have a different kind of conversation and I can't give you a form a formula for how it will be different, but I guarantee that the the person will reveal more things in those two scenarios than they would do if they were sat in a sterile meeting room. They're watching the clock, um, you know, all of the pressures of work around them, their emails and notifications are pinging off left, right and centre. So you can see people when they when they kind of sit down in or they go for in other situation, their shoulders just relax, they become more relaxed, and they're immediately that little bit more at ease and that's what you're you're trying to get so i'm really looking for uh, all these signals about how they how they uh where you meet how they talk about their job and essentially i'm looking for the stories that they tell we've we've talked about storytelling i know we're going to talk about that in a minute um these these are all the sort of uh Tools in the toolbox that I have to try and understand as much as I can about the company as quickly as possible. But, and you made a really good point, you kind of, you don't want to kind of set up any booby traps. You really want to be careful to invest the time. This, this listening time is not like a, a kind of quick hit thing. It doesn't mean to say it has to take a long time. You don't need to necessarily set aside months and months in the calendar for it, but you need to treat it as respectfully as possible you're not just doing this to get through it as quickly as possible so that you can get on with the with the kind of fun stuff of designing a new solution or designing a new new organization you need to really really kind of sink into the organization and and really immerse yourself as much as possible within it and i'm sure in the projects that you've been involved in you know that that sort of immersion time is always time well spent right
1: no, absolutely. And I think that is the operative word there. You have to really immerse yourself in the culture, the rhythm, in the pulse of the organization. is so, so important. Um, because all these conversations that you have, you end up getting a theme. You might, you might have a thread to a, to a universal story. And there's language yeah. across different departments. Different teams have their own language. And understanding those things will help create, craft that headliner um, vision yeah. statement in terms of what is this transformation trying to do? What what will it yeah. enable the organization to become and grow into, yeah. as it were? And that comes out of using their own language that you could only ga- gauge by really, as you said, Andrew, um, immersing yourself in that organization, speaking to, to groups that some of them might have never had the opportunity to sit in front of somebody who's really interested them as a human being that's not their boss. That's so that true. That she wants to know, yes. you know, how, what do you do at work? How are things? It's, it, it's such a rudimentary question, but to marginalize communities, I, I can I can testify to that. Um, having, having somebody that sits down with a cup of tea, coffee, whatever the beverage, and just is interested in me and the, what I do and how I contribute to the organization. Yeah. It's a truly transformational, empowering conversation that, that, that is happening. And sometimes you have to really pinch yourself and, and respect the craft of doing that effectively because you're actually supporting somebody. In, in in their own well-being. In fact,
2: yes, yeah. Quite often, um, individuals who I speak to uh, are perhaps very frustrated with the situation. They can they can kind of see many ways in which. They might be able to improve it. And these might not be big investments by the organization, simple tactical changes. Um, And they've never really had a listening ear to tell that to. So I don't want to kind of, you know blow my sort of self you know kind of get my ego out of control here but sometimes you're performing a very uh, an important function you know you're gathering this information for the benefit of the organization And, and let's face it the organizations are really just groups of people um so that they can they can do more with their time feel more valued feel more empowered and and feel like they're making a difference people come to work and they want to feel like they're making a difference the, the times where they're just kind of going through the motions they're just cranking the handle on the job you know those are the times when you know people get frustrated so the there is a a sort of an important uh, function that we're performing when we when we listen to people, when you you've got to treat it res- with respect. I think you're absolutely right there.
1: What would you say to any organisation that says, "Oh, let's bypass this stage of having these interview conversations, and we can send out on email a questionnaire"?
2: <laughs> I oh golly, a, a questionnaire just th- there's so much information that a questionnaire just can't capture. It's such a blunt instrument. And you, you end up with, with sort of two polarized responses in a questionnaire. Either it's the people who just kind of mark everything average. You know, everything's a seven out of 10 or a six out of 10, and it means nothing. You know, everything's average. Or you get the extremes where people, they either love everything that's going on they, they just can't see any fault in it they're, they're sort of blinded by you know the the kind of the hype or they just they're so cynical they've been forgotten about for years and they're just angry about everything so you get these kind of either the kind of average which is often meaningless or the polarization which which just doesn't give you anything useful to go on that's why you know a a, a questionnaire with Two thousand respondents. Okay, that that could get some useful information, but I would wager that twenty interviews would get me far more far more useful data points. Um, and. Let's remember that we're going to be we're going to be delivering a transformation here. We're going to need those people who we spoke to in the interviews to help us deliver this transformation. Um, the idea of kind of short circuiting it, I, I get it. I, I understand why organisations want to do it, but. There's plenty of other pieces that you could short circuit, for example, getting better at decision making, getting more effective at communication. There are lots of other ways to find that efficiency rather than just kind of like slicing out all of the conversations and going straight to a questionnaire. I I think that's a – if a company really wanted to do a questionnaire – we could, I, would, I would always say to do it in combination with some, with some interviews. I'd never, I'd never want to kind of like lose the interview stage.
1: No, no, absolutely, absolutely. And I have tend to find from experience companies that rely heavily on the questionnaire tend to have questionnaires that they're kind of like massage the, the answers anyway. They're typically for organisations yes. that do not want that absolute truth. That lends itself, again, for an, another, another question in terms of how then would you, um, when you get your findings from these interviews, and if it doesn't go in a way that's expected by the board, a difficult conversation needs to be had. What's your experience yes. in disseminating the outputs from these interviews, particularly if it goes against the, 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 the common understanding from senior executives?
2: So I think... My job is to play back to the executives what i 've heard as honestly as possible, so i can 't go in with a i can 't have a sort of an angle so i just I just select these types of answers because it supports the argument that I thought I wanted to make i 've got to be i 've got to be as balanced as I can be. Um, I try to reassure people when i 'm having the interviews that I won't mention them by name you know I w- I will sort of anonymize their comments often people are fearful that something could come back and af- adversely affect their career progression or something like that or it will be seen as a an indirect criticism of their line manager I'm not I'm not there to do that the the organization can do that itself in other ways I'm there to play back what I've heard and in playing this back you need to understand the art of storytelling quite often the information will be given to you as a form of story you know um i joined this company expecting to do this these things happened uh, sort of an event happened and then my job was made more difficult or easier as a result of it that sort of thing so you're trying to play back a story to the executive and i i learned a lot um from understanding the way that um Film screenplays are created, so there are basically two forms of screenplay in in Hollywood. If you ever watch any film, they will li- most likely fall into one of these. The first type is what's called the journey screenplay. A man goes on a journey. So Rain Man, um, Thelma and Louise, Goodwill Hunting. The, the the main character starts here, a series of things happen, and they end up there. Right, um, and that is a that I think works really well in transformation. The other type of story is what's called The Stranger Comes to Town. So E.T.'s the classic example, or um Fight Club. Um, you know, Brad Pitt's character in Fight Club, or if you want to go back a little bit further, um a film I uh, one of my favorite films with Paul Newman, Call Hand Luke, where he's a prisoner. Um, he's, he's kind of feels like he's been wrongly convicted of this crime. And in prison, he just kind of rails against every form of authority. And often consultants seem to like the stranger comes to town so technology could be like the stranger that comes to town a new form of technology comes in and that's the kind of the going to be the thing that changes the world or the consultant you know if your ego gets out of control you're the stranger that comes to town and it's all about you But I I think that's the wrong way to go. For me, the the kind of man goes on a journey is really what you're doing with an organization. It starts here with some kind of challenge and problem and a series of things and events happen, and then it ends up over here, hopefully in a better state than when it started. That's not always true. Not all all films end happily ever after, but that's kind of what you're trying to do when you're talking to a board. You wanna take them on that journey you want to reveal to them that it's not all going to be plain sailing. There's going to be some challenges along the way, but you can prepare yourself for those challenges. And as a result, the organization will be better, stronger, more efficient, more effective, all of these kind of things that you're, you're trying to do. So that, that sort of storytelling, I think, is really vital. That's, that's a really important skill. And that unlocked a lot of things for me when I started thinking about it in those terms.
1: No, absolutely, absolutely, and we, we share that uh, that approach. I'm a big, big, big believer in storytelling, and I was just geeking out as you were mentioning some of those films.
2: Um, um, so I I tend to use. I mean, just think um, of think of your favorite films, right? Think think of your films. I mean, once you once you think about these two things, you can't watch a film again now without thinking about. Well, is it you know going on a journey, or is it a stranger comes to town? And when you start thinking about some of the best some of the best executives happen to also be the best storytellers. You know, the Steve Jobs of this world, the James Dysons of this world. These are people who are great at crafting stories. And Absolutely. that's what engages people. As humans, we are predisposed. We love stories. From birth, we've told stories at bedtime. We, we grow up listening <laughs> to stories. And that you think about the, everyone's got a friend who's just got that, that sort of ability to craft a story that draws you in and you want to know what happens next what's going to happen next absolutely and this goes goes back to um a hero
1: of a thousand faces you know um when it comes to storytelling um so i use yes. star wars episode 4 and my position when i work in transformational pro- projects is to be the um the obi-wan kenobi of the story so yes my premise is i know and i'm assuming andrew that you're a star wars geek like me right
2: i'm not necessarily at the geek level but i know i understand star wars i get you know, it the, um, you know, i've no, got to no, be honest with character. you the first the first three are my favorites so i'm i'm from the yeah, yeah. generation of the you know the so return man, of the jedi so and all that <laughs> yeah
1: yeah so that so that's where that's so i'll start with episode uh, episode four new hope Obi Wan meets yeah. Luke Skywalker for the first time. Yes. So, Luke Skywalker would be the company that we're working for, the organisation that mm-hmm. has to go on. Go has to go on this journey, as you rightfully describe. There has to be a villain in the story, and the villain yes. in Star Wars yes. is going to be Darth Vader. People need to know what is the, the compelling reason to go on the journey, the baddie, as it were, and yeah. then. I guess our conversations that we have that you rightfully describe with the organization is to understand their pain points. So Obi Wan Kenobi yeah. was a Jedi. He understood Luke's fears, concerns, and worries because he has yes. gone through them yes. himself. And yes. And also on yes. top of that, Luke trusts him because he has something that Luke wants to become. And that's the Jedi, a Jedi Master. Yeah. So so Obi Wan's taking Luke on that journey through transformation, through his highs and yes. lows, and being that um, that confidant, you know, that Jiminy Cricket type character, you know, that yeah. consciousness that that sticks. down on the right path. You can do this. You're like a cheerleader, um, nurturing nurturing um, Luke. And up until he blows up the Death Star, it means he's he's won that that, that episode at least. Yes. And that sigh of relief that Luke Skywalker does when he blows up the Death Star is the, the climax, as it were, the story arc mm-hmm. that organization yeah. will go on when they're actually now transformed into something else. Because I guess there are concepts that in, in, in every transformation program, particularly digital ones, where it gets geeky, you know, particularly, particularly yes. going from paper to yes. digital, there's different vernacular... Words have a different Mm -hmm. meaning Different acronyms are being thrown around That the whole organisation Depending on what department that you're in Has to learn to grasp You know So for, for basic, what's a mouse? You know, we know it now to be this device to move around But I can tell you many times That people thought it was something else in the early days of digital transformation But so a good story Can help explain Um complex concepts that that come out from digital programs. Um so that's where I see it. And also um it allows uh a better a more as you said a more infantile way of looking at a problem which is one of wonder and possibility. Yes. You know, opposed to I, I one mean, of you, you said it. danger.
2: You said it. the The title of the of the film is a new hope and and that's what you know the the tra- a transformation program has to be about hope. um even if you find yourself in quite a kind of difficult spot, you know your maybe your products or your services are behind what the market is expecting. They're a new entrants, you've you know you've got to you've got to have hope that you can that you can sort of turn this situation around. Um, and I, I I mean, you know, golly, there's so much we could, we could talk about there, but the, the, the thing that I remember most from that episode is, and the, the sort of the story arc for Luke in that, in, in that episode is he has to learn to believe that he can do it. He, and, and this is what organizations, what you're trying to do with organizations is to show them some kind of vision for the future, provide them with some sort of framework that helps them to get there, but really it's down to them to do it as the consultant you just don't have the bandwidth you can't take over like an entire an entire hospital or an entire factory or or whatever it is you you're dependent on the people who are there to buy into this story and to take it on and to and to go with it and to start to see some benefits so the, you know we could spend all evening talking about star wars but the you know there's there's plenty of times where it doesn't work out for luke right it's not all it's doesn't it's not all easy you know it's not it's not quite as simple that's the genius of the story there um but it's you are trying to harness the skills that the people already have their willingness and their belief in you as a as a consultant but in each other as a team that they can they can reach this new this this new position you know you go from your as is to your to be the 2b has to be something that is that is plausible but i i kind of i mentioned james dyson earlier and what is plausible has is actually quite remarkable if we think back to the early days of the covid pandemic dyson as a firm decided that they 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 realized uh, there was a lot of talk if you remember in the early days about the lack of ventilators we didn't have enough ventilators in the nhs so dyson designed a ventilator a new ventilator in 30 days and then they were they had they committed to being able to produce 10,000 of these for the nhs now as it turns out we didn't need 10,000 of them but this ability to do that within within a matter of weeks they had designed something from scratch it's remarkable when you put teams of capable motivated people together what can be achieved and that and that's why i'm hopeful for digital transformation the piece you were talking about with um understanding the language is also vital so the the the, the language piece is another skill that the consultant has to understand you have to be able to translate the world of technology into understandable segments and the and the example of this the one that i always use which is i have yet to find one that beats it is when jfk made his speech in 1961 he announced that the us was going to put a man on the moon and bring them back to earth alive now that challenge was something that anyone in the street could understand most people had no idea how it was going to be achieved. Even JFK, he didn't know anything about rocket propulsion systems or life support systems, but he could say that statement and it was in a language that anybody could understand. And, you know, obviously there were political overtones to why he made that statement, but the simplicity of it and the accessibility of it were, the, were where the genius lay in it.
1: There was definitely genius in there, and that's in the top 100 best speeches of all time um that speech I, I it's an it incredible well. speech it's an yeah. incredible speech it's just it speaks to the essence of what it means to be human to pushing the boundaries mm-hmm. um and another, yes. another thing about storytelling and i see some organizations um fluff their lines miss their cue on this one <laughs> and you mentioned yeah. two distinct types of stories right it's when an organization yeah. is going for transformation and uses multiple stories to engage with different parts of the organization. It doesn't have a universal compelling singular story. And we mentioned Steve mm-hmm. Jobs, Steve Jobs, working for an organization that has hundreds of thousands of employees, thousands of mm-hmm. them, you know, it's one yes. story from whether you work in the factory, whether, whether you work in sales, whether or not, whether you work mm-hmm. in design it was one story that they have. So yes. being able to tell that one story means these these opportunities to engage the workforce to get their language right get their buy-in understand their 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 fears and concerns then crafting it into an into a statement like a vision statement mm-hmm. you know a new hope is just two words but it still yeah, gives me yeah. t- um, um goosebumps you know <laughs> um yeah it, it still does I, I am that that much of a geek and just just as a, as a segue um in that same film um episode A New Hope, the adoption stage that, that we know, you know, that when you before you mm-hmm. go live with your new system or process or procedure, is a scene in there where Luke has to test out the lightsaber for the first time.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: And it, and it, it starts off <laughs> oh, by yeah. getting it wrong. It's the adoption, isn't it? Yeah. User adoption. Yeah. And that's what you want. You want people to test it out fully. You know, yeah. and then you get the glimpse of Mastery, just get a glimpse. But it was not actualized yes. until further further into the film. So there's so many parallels, as you rightfully said, and when it comes to storytelling, because it speaks to the heart of how human beings connect with one another, it unifies mm-hmm. the whole transformational piece project. So it has to be yeah. front and center in everything that we do.
2: I think you are, I think your point about seeing organizations fluff their lines is a really good point just to dwell on. It's um it the, the one school of thought is that different parts of an organization need to have like a specific message that's tailored to that part of the organization. But that gets really hard because the transformation is usually all-encompassing. It, it the nature of transformation is that lots of people are affected by it, and I read a book um, by an author called Barbara Minto called the Pyramid Pin- Principle, which talks about how to explain complex things. So, and the and the and the way that she has uh, she talks about it is this pyramid principle. You have one core concept, a new hope, right, and then. All of the things that happen feed into whatever that that principle uh, that that item is, so everything in that film is feeding into that moment that's why you you describe it as climactic when they when he when he blows up the death star that's because the entire film has been building up to that point there's no sort of subplot that's going off over here that's weakening it um. And it's the same with transformation. So really, you have to be in complete alignment about what your transformation is there to achieve. What is it that that to be is going to is going to feel like? And when we're talking about this, so quite often people talk about, um, you know, you're 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 trying to sort of crest the summit of a mountain there's a there's a kind of commonly used example and you're down here at base camp and you need to kind of get to here and then to here and then you're going to have a shot at summiting the mountain if the conditions allow you to do so the um the the, the bit that's up here, the summit of the mountain needs to be completely agreed upon. And, and that's kind of where the, the hard yards are. So in, we talked about listening to people and how we would um, gather information. As a result of that, you're going to come up with some options for what you're going to do. It may not be clear cut as to how you're going to approach this. So you need to quickly get through those options and completely coalesce around something and that can be really hard because some people might not be a hundred percent behind the option that's chosen but for the purposes of the transformation they have to they have to believe in it and that's really where the skill of the consultant is, because if they don't believe in it, what they'll do is they'll slightly modify the story and suddenly you've kind of got two divergent stories that are being told around the business and they're in chaos reigns. So. Back to the Death Star. If everyone didn't think that destroying, you know, the um, uh, destroying the Death Star was the objective, it wouldn't have got destroyed. If your company, if people in your company don't believe that this digital transformation is really what we want to try and achieve, actually, we're going to try and do something a little bit different and we're going to do that on the choir over here and hope that nobody notices again you won't get the benefit because you won't have this pyramid principle you'll have different people talking about different stories and that's why the lines get fluffed the story gets kind of watered down confused blended with another story you know and and you've got you've got people who are looking for leadership and clarity and what they're getting is confused mixed messaging
1: and absolutely. Absolutely. And there was another um, part of the, the puzzle that we didn't, I think you might have even touched upon it when in the conversational pieces that you described, was the stories, storytelling helps evoke emotion. Um, for yes. all the, the, the best transformational programs I've led on, I've known all the stakeholders have been emotionally connected and engaged in the program. And and for all the films that you've mentioned, the reason why those films are classics is because they are you are emotionally connected to the story. You want the protagonist, you want your character mm-hmm. to win, to triumph over all these adversaries um, within the story. So, a single story you don't want to build a tower, a tower of Babel. You know, too much languages, mm-hmm. too much complexity. The the transformation program is complex. Enough For us to Deliberately go out To make it more complex In The way we describe it So Simple Back to Steve Steve Jobs Um Um On um, view On things is Simplify 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 Yes keep it simple Just keep <laughs> it simple Why do we need Why do people need to know the, the The hidden mechanics Of why things operate And move Across Across the circuit board When at the end of the day, they want to be able to, to do one particular function with the device, as an example. They don't need to know all of that. Things are going to be coming into that their sphere of influence anyway that's going to be complicated. They're coming. Yeah. So while we shouldn't be as um, transformational leaders um, promoting a culture where we're making things overtly um, complicated, and also it builds, very quickly, it builds this barrier between us and the organisation when we start using high-level yeah. language that other people don't understand. You know, it, it, yeah. it just builds that power, it creates a power dynamic that shouldn't be there.
2: There's enough complexity out there already. If you think about all of the things that an organisation is unable to control, there are way more things, way more unknown unknowns out there than there are within the organisation. So, it, why make your job even harder by creating further complexity in the organization? A, a really fantastic designer I worked with once said to me, look, Andrew, there's one thing you can't add, and that's simplicity. You just can't add simplicity. So you've got to strip it away, strip it away, strip it away, and and eventually you're going to get to something that is the, the right thing. The other thing you mentioned was um, talking about emotional investment. And the the transformation projects that I've worked on, the best ones, the sort of the ones that I would consider to be my greatest hits are the ones where I've had a high degree of um, insight into the motivations of the people I'm working with. So rather than just what is it that we need to achieve with this project I I knew on those particular one assignments, what is it that you as an individual want to get out of this project? What does this mean for you? It means a promotion. It means you're going to develop a new skill that will you know, allow you to lead this team in a different way. It's going to allow you to um, tr- open up a new office in a new country, and that's been a dream of yours for the last 10 years. All of these sort of insights are things that – Might not come out if you were just to kind of like list out the objectives of the project. So you're looking at the objectives of the people who are going to deliver the project. And that suddenly allows you to connect with them in a very different way. You're not only delivering the project, but you're, I mean, it sounds a bit kind of grand and highfalutin, but you're helping them to deliver their own, you're helping to deliver their own goals, help them to achieve their own aspirations. And suddenly that gets you suddenly you found another gear to your car right you you found that their level of investment is now total they're completely committed to making this work because it's got something in it for them without being selfish so that's i i and you you don't always get that that's it's i wish it happened more often that i know when it happens that the program that i'm or the assignment that i'm working on is going to really we're going to really get somewhere Sometimes with the best will in the world, it doesn't happen, and and that's okay. You know, you can still do good stuff. But when you get to that level, you, you've really achieved something special. Then,
1: now, I, I couldn't second that anymore, Andrew. And this is this is the holy grail for us. You know, we we approach oh, yeah. these projects with that in mind, no matter how um, short or how long, regardless of the budget, size of or organization. Yeah. You know, I think mm-hmm. we should aim for best practice to 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 be fundamentally built on these principles of human engagement, human connection, you know, um breaking down barriers, you know, allowing the organization to see that they can do it. You know, because sometimes yeah. you see in, in transformation, um the third party organizations become beneficiaries of the transformation because they're gonna be used for maintenance. Because so you cannot you yeah. still need us. At the end to continue to implement, but with the approach that you are, you're describing, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's all about empowering the organisation to say you can do it. I'll give, I'll support yeah. you in getting yeah. the tools, and then you're on your own.
2: And and that should from from a con- I suppose the mindset of a consultant is slightly different to perhaps the one of a software vendor. So for a consultant, really, your job is to. Get in, understand things as quickly as you can, to as much depth as you can, come up with recommendations that you know can be implemented, help the organization for as long as they need your help, and then to get out. You you're not there to become part of the furniture. You really mustn't. It's a really bad outcome to create a dependency on you as the consultant. Now, a software company is different. Their business model is you know they, they might make some of their profit during during the kind of support and maintenance phase. That's okay. They might get you know they might that support and maintenance phase might um allow the client access to new features and upgrades. And again, that's beneficial. So their their model is different. But the this even the software vendor needs to be aware that they're not there to kind of create a dependency. You know, that that's what kind of breeds frustration. Um it, it breeds a kind of it, it's just a kind of it can breed quite a kind of uh, tense relationship where the client thinks, well, you know, what benefit am I getting here? I've got to pay this money to keep using the system. If I don't, th- these guys have got me over a barrel here. Um, you know, that's that's different. But really, the con- the consultant is there to, you know, as quickly as possible, take the stabilizer wheels off the bicycle so that they, you know, the client can just ride free and 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 you know and and be off. Doing what they're there to do, you know. That's 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 the kind of mindset. And I'm getting the vision of like riding into the sunset as, <laughs> as,
1: as you're saying that, Andrew. So, <laughs> no, no, yeah. that, that's excellent. I think you 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 rounded rounded off the conversation well, and I, I'm sure our listeners <laughs> will found it very, very um, in, insightful, informative. And these these are just the building blocks for our series of of conversations that we want to share across um across the Mic Drop Club and beyond really because digital transformation is 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 a big, big, big subject and we need to get it right because we're talking about affecting humans really. So is there any any last messages, messages that you want to leave the audience with?
2: Uh I think the 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 thing that I want to um want to kind of impart is that there isn't a secret special source. The if if you engage a consultant, really what you need to do is engage somebody who you feel connects with your organization on a human level. We've talked a lot about humans tonight, listening to humans, storytelling, being able to um, address people's fears and hopes, um, their ambitions, uh, creating safety and intimacy so that people can really achieve the best things they can achieve. This is all human stuff here. This isn't technology stuff. So really think about the people you work with. And if you're going to involve somebody, make sure you choose somebody who you feel like is going to engage with your organisation on a human level. That's the thing that I think is the most important. And sometimes the easiest thing to forget, you just assume that because you're dealing with another person, it's all just going to click automatically. Well, that's not always the case. So really think about that human interaction piece.
1: Thank you very much. Join us next time as we continue to explore Transformation with Andrew and to then keep embracing the power of storytelling in your digital transformation. You guys take care of yourself and each other and we are out.
0: Thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out micdropclub.com and get the show notes and useful links. Subscribe to the podcast. Don't just live life, make life boom.